How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Getting our money's worth. Oh, yeah. Yes, look at that wild, wild applause for you there, Mark Stiles of Stiles Law. That was great. It's great to be back. It's great to be back, Dr. Joe. Shall we introduce our guest, Tom? Can Absolutely. you introduce our guest for us tonight? He is a practicing physician, proud husband, and father of a wonderful son and daughter. Some time ago, he took a simple and deliberate step back from the complexities of life to see himself in a much bigger picture, within a context of past and future, within the balance of the human species with nature, and with what is truly lasting beyond one's days. Wow. His great hope is that others in healthcare, physicians, nurses, therapists of all kinds, scientists and administrators, and young people everywhere will join him in his fight to better inform the public that climate change is the greatest imminent health challenge humanity has yet to face. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Stia. Yeah. Welcome, Sam. Welcome, Dr. Stia. It is an honor and delight to have you here. I see oh, that I can see there's somebody else in the room. Do you want to bring them over too and say hello to us? Who's there? Oh, Catherine? That's my daughter. Uh, yeah. Bring uh, Catherine over. Well, she just ran upstairs. So <laughs> really? You know, I I read I read her comments on Amazon uh, about reading your book uh, and that this is her dad's book, and she's got some great things to say. Yeah, um that uh the book um the, it's kind of confusing. Uh, the old book is called Reimagine, uh, and uh, that's where you read her comments. Yes. Nonetheless, I did I did uh, upgrade the book, and I put out a new edition, which is called The Edge of Elsewhere, which is um, what I'm actually pushing uh, or um, sponsoring. But uh, The Edge of Elsewhere is the new one. Reimagine is the old one. But nonetheless, those comments adhere to the new book. So. Well, let's talk about both, but let's start with uh, with the new one. Tell us about the book. The book is about, uh, it's a journey uh, about uh, kids from the future, three kids from the future, and, and it's in the year 2079, and climate change has wrecked the Earth. The actual setting is based on real science, and say the Earth warms to three to five degrees in the next century, we're going to be facing uh, a scenario quite similar to what's in the book, which is uh, higher humidity, higher temperatures, droughts, famines, and so forth, migration of populations toward fresh water. So this is what the kids face. And again, it's a, it's a science fiction book. Uh, the kids live in Princeton University, and um, they discover a means of escape, and they escape from where they are in time to a past. In 1971, uh, they venture in New York City, and they see what the world was like, and uh, they, they can't believe what has transpired to result in the world in which they live in. 
So they do what they can to influence people. They have to change themselves in order to change the future. It's a, it's a book about a journey through time, but it's also an inward journey that these three kids take to discover hope and discover in themselves the strength to do what they need to do. It's, it's a book about exploration. And uh, again, it's, there's a lot of science fiction in it, but there's also a lot of science. There's a lot of Einsteinisms. And uh, there's, um, there is basis for all the science fiction. I, I, I thought it was clever. Each chapter is more or less based on the theme of a 1960s or 1970s song. So I basically brought to light the era of the hippie movement, the uh, counterculture, and uh, I wanted, well, my ideal is to bring that culture of, oh, it was kind of an, a culture of upheaval, of change. Um, I want to bring that to what we're seeing now with young people. You know, um, I want young people to feel that way, the way the people back then felt about Vietnam. I want the young people nowadays to think about climate change and what it means. The stakes are much, much higher. It's not as real as the Vietnam War, but it will become real in the next 20 to 30 years. So um, so in that way, my it's, it's a bit prophetic. But young people are taken to the streets, which I think is a good start. And this book was written in response to that. And, uh, but the book, the book, uh, it, you know, what I find interesting is baby boomers like it more than any particular group because it kind of brings them back to the sixties and seventies and the way they were then and what has happened to them now, they become the establishment and more or less the impediment to the change that we need. So, which is quite astonishing to those folks. I am sure they never thought that they would be the impediment. I mean, they, yes, this they the, are the impediment to change. Um, they've elected our president and um, they've, they've made some choices. They are the immovable force. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to see. I wanted to see, I want people to look inward, to see themselves where they are now and to see possibly what they were like 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I wanted to capture. Um, the stakes are much higher now. It's not only about governments and wars. It's about uh, the extinction of, well, the decline in the decline of civilization and this extinction of humanity. It's theoretical, but it's starting, and now is now is the critical time to make a difference. Right. I think it's here. Say that again, Tom. We're seeing it even this year with the windstorms in Iowa, multiple hurricanes happening at once, much more intense because those barriers are being lost due to coral bleaching. So they're picking up more water, getting more intense. We're getting record heat and aridity on the West Coast, wildfires. Yeah. Well, this is this is this is only the beginning. I mean, I've yeah. I've got abreast with the science and the literature, and um, you know, I'm a physician. I'm, I'm supposed to warn people about um, threat, threats to their health. There's no greater threat than this. Um, I mean, we could talk about cholesterol and diabetes and lifespans and, uh, and mortality rates, but this, this is an existential issue that threatens everything that we are. And if I'm not a physician talking, if I am not a physician talking about this, then I'm not quite a physician after all. 
Unfortunately, none of my peers see it that way. Um, there seems to be a great neglect amongst doctors, particularly in my neck of the woods. It's starting to change though. Big organizations, American Medical Association are starting to take note of their responsibility of the coming health catastrophe that that's, that's out there. So, uh, but doctors need to lobby government just as much as the uh, fossil fuel companies on this issue. If we are to be true to ourselves. It's very interesting. I mean, so, it so is true that one of our, one of our first, first rules in medicine as a physician is do no harm. I, I am a, a member of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and I'm, I'm in central Pennsylvania. I'm a nephrologist, which you probably, uh, I think, Dr. Kidney, kidney. That is. Yeah, that's a, a kidney guy. A doctor that specializes in kidney diseases and dialysis. Uh, I guess, um, you know, I'm, I'm the only practicing nephrologist within a much of the a segment of North Pennsylvania wow. out here and Williamsport and up. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of the only nephrologist North of I-80. I don't know if you know what that yeah. highway that bisects uh, Pennsylvania, but I'm alone. I work really hard. Still, I had the time to do this night times. Mostly I wrote the first copy on my cell phone. Um, <laughs> You know, in nephrologists, you could drive between different uh, dialysis units. So uh, I started about three years ago, and I finished this year. And uh, voice to text, or uh, were you uh, texting? Well, what I did was, uh, you know, what XM radio is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to the '60s and '70s station on XM radio, and then the Beatles station came out. Uh -huh. so the songs kind of fit together in a story that I created, and. And if you read the book, each chapter is a song, really. Um, uh, but um, um, I, I wrote most of it at nighttime uh, and, uh, and uh, in the early morning hours and weekends. I mean, when I'm on call on weekends, I basically am stuck in my house or in the hospital, sitting there waiting for somebody's potassium or somebody's B1 creatinine to come back or to see if analysis is working or not working. So I have to have a lot of time fiddling around. So I, again, the first edition, the first copy was done on my cell phone. Wow. And then I gradually escalated it to a full-fledged copy. It's a big story. It's 400 pages. And uh, it's uh, it was uh, quite an escape for me. It's almost like a, it was almost like taking a mind vacation, you know, in, in the midst of all this. For the past five years, I've been alone and uh, no vacation time. So this was kind of a surrogate to vacation uh, time. So so how long did it take you? Well, let's see. I started at the end of 2016 and probably to the beginning of 2019. Okay. Wait a minute. The end of, two, I'm sorry, the end of 2019. And did you have an outline uh, beforehand or you just like let it flow? No, no, you've, I didn't mean to get nephrology thing there. <laughs> oh, oh, the, the story. Yeah, yeah, the, the story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think of the story as a, it, it started as a, like a 
big rock. I knew there was something in there and I kept on chiseling away hmm. and uh, I broke off big pieces, then smaller pieces. And then it, it started as a, as a story and it kind of, uh, became bigger and bigger. And, uh, and, uh, I changed it a lot and, uh, it was almost, um, like, uh, um, something that, uh, just, uh, I, again, it was almost like I was creating my own movie, you know, which is, it was kind of a recreation almost, you know? Um, right. and, um, uh, again, the, mo- the motivations are it, a lot of, a lot of my motivation was just angry, anger. I'm sorry. I was just angry at, uh, doctors. I was angry at, uh, what was going on around here. Let's talk about that. The anger towards the yeah. doctor. That was the way we were segueing into after the ad and, and you yeah. were talking off air and on Facebook live, um, about that. Like what, what, what makes, what was making you so angry about the doctors? Well, you know, um, to me, climate change is almost like, geez, I hate to bring world. I hate to bring in, um, you know, that's part of history, but it's almost like, uh, being in Germany in 1932 and, uh, or even before world war one, where you see people, um, everyone kind of thinking the wrong thing or, um, kind of, uh, almost blind and, um, and it's, it's frustrating because uh, a lot of my friends I deem are intelligent um, were, are, are blinded in this issue. And uh, uh, I don't know that they, they don't, it's not, I don't know if they care or not. It was almost like they um, declined to take responsibility because they felt it's not their responsibility. They have too many problems. So, uh, one, one of the things that was happening in Germany was the indifference. So are you talking about indifference? I'm, I'm talking about just kind of uh, the idea that uh, I am here. This is beyond me. I have so many issues that I have to deal with. Why should I involve myself with this issue? This is more of a political thing. I'm just going to do my work and make money and hope for that I get good vacation time. Um, and then I, I just, with with regards to physicians, I, I just didn't quite understand that because everything about this uh, is something that doctors, uh, it, it's it's the very definition of what doctors do. They warn we assess a cluster of symptoms and make a diagnosis. Well, they—I uh, mean, as a nephrologist, I—I I spend about ninety percent of my time warning people that if they don't change their, di- their hypertension or they don't <clears throat> stop smoking, they're going to end up on dialysis. Of course, there's a tipping point, but I try to catch them before the tipping point, uh, and uh, you know, keep them out of the hospital, keep them on dialysis. So I, I just you're uh, warning, but you're warning them on your specialty, right? You're warning them on well, your based focus. on based on my knowledge of nephrology of uh, what causes kidney disease and what what are risk factors for progression of kidney disease. I, I try to warn people 
and uh, sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but I have this knack of seeing the big picture. Uh, I see the patient five years from now sitting in a dialysis chair in a nursing home with a stroke. I mean, I've seen it so many times. It's almost like uh, I'm, I'm playing the same movie over and over again. Mm. Um, and, I, and I feel this is, I feel this kind of is what's happening now. Um, and I, it's almost maddening to talk with patients, not, not patients, I'm sorry, talk with physicians. And uh, it's almost like they're, it, they're purposefully detached from the problem. And when I bring it up, it's almost, it's almost like they um, want me to stop talking about it because it's interfering with their idea of what they have to do and their, their role is in the hospital. Uh, so it's, um, but again, what's, what's maddening about this is this is absolutely in the doctor's laps. Yeah. This, this is health. Uh, what happens when there's not enough food to eat? What happens when the temperature rises? What happens when the humidity increases? What happens if, um, you know, people start migrating and bringing their diseases over? What happens when there are pandemics, when they're uh, you know, uh, th this is ultimately, this is a, 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 the biggest health issue to face mankind since the, it's probably bigger than the black, uh, death because, uh, the black, the black death, you know, you know, it was a pandemic. It, it ran its course, but, uh, this threatens everyone everywhere. And for all time, it doesn't go away. You can't reverse what we're what we're doing. You can't absorb carbon back and and you know put it into the ground. If you do, it's a hundred times the energy it took to get it out of the ground and burn it. You know, um, this this isn't like COVID. I mean, COVID's going to come and go. You know, but this is something that's going to be here, and uh, it's it's not going to go away, and it's going to get worse. We're starting now to see things, um, you know, young people are making a difference uh, with the presence and, you know, there was a big movement last year. It would have been bigger this year if there wasn't for COVID, but um, doctors aren't seeing this for what it is. And I just don't understand that. Doctors separately, doctors in groups, administrators, hospitals, Oh, we're, uh, you know, the hospital always says, oh, we're doing green things. We're recycling this. and But doctors need to advocate on a much bigger scale. We need to get into politics. We need to uh, inform the, uh, the... They're the, busy. They're busy. They're busy. Yeah, but this, yes, but there's no excuse for this. Again, 1932 Germany, here we are. Yeah. There's no excuse for not speaking up. Um, in retrospect... Doctors now are going to look like the uh, civil servants in Germany in 1932. That, that's what I see here. And quite frankly, I don't want to be part of that. I, I want to do something at least while I can, you know. Well, I think we all, we all have an opportunity to do things while we can because there may not be that much time left. Heavy stuff. But I want to ask about the book uh, a little bit 
going from 2079 all the way back to 1971, did you try to base history on fact or how did you proceed with their journey going forward? Uh, the book is based on science, real science, relativity science, Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. And uh, uh, the kids um, discover, the kids live in Princeton, in the wreckage of Princeton, and in the, in the wreckage of Princeton University discover, uh, um, and actually in, uh, you know, Einstein uh, had, uh, lived in Mercer Street in, in Princeton University. They actually go into his house and scrounge around and they discover something that allows them to uh, discover things that happened in nature, which allow them to, if they're in the right place and the right time, allow them to uh, move backwards and forwards in time. And uh, so they discover this thing and they travel to where they ought to uh, find us. They do find it and they travel back to 1971. They end up in New York City. Uh, they are befriended by a group of hippies and um, the hippies are, of course, involved with the Vietnam War and protests in Cheap's Meadow and Central Park. Uh, they, of course, you know, there's a lot of uh, anxiety whether they should try to change the future or not change the future. They, uh, they end up deciding to try to alter their, or their future, so they uh, meet up with a celebrity uh, at the time, and uh, they do change history through an act of kindness and something unexpected. And uh, is that is that celebrity one of the four folks from London? Oh yeah, what, what, uh, John Lennon lived in uh, Bank Street in 1971. Uh, one of the hippies they uh, met uh, is uh, worked with Lennon as a. Uh, uh, he would he would set up the instruments with there's a, a stagehand was a stagehand for Lennon uh, the kids Ab, uh, and the uh, the main character is Abigail she remembers a song that her mother used to sing it was called Dear Abby which is a play on Dear Prudence uh, the uh, uh, the hippie started playing that song not knowing that Abby knew it. And Abby said, how do you know that? I know that song. My mom used to sing that to me. She wanted to meet the artist that wrote that song. She had the idea in her head that if she knows this song, this song lasted through the century of chaos and upheaval to be in her head, then that man has a gift to possibly uh, write songs about nature and possibly uh, change the future. So they um, they want to meet him. They actually meet him through an accident. Abby was running across the road trying to say to hello to him, and a car was speeding in the, in the opposite direction, and Lennon pulled her out of the way. But um, it, it's actually quite touching how they meet, and uh, Lennon actually takes them to Central Park and talks to them about the Vietnam War and what who are you guys where do you come from you must be runaways you know uh, how can i help you kind of thing so so it, it's 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 interesting and it's touching and um 
they do uh, something that, uh, um, you know, uh, there are forces against them, uh, working against them, trying to stop them from what they're doing. And those are, uh, those are, uh, I don't, I don't want to kind of. No, we, we, we don't, don't. But, but I, but I love the compassion that is shown in this person, Lennon, who is trying to help people. And, and that's really part of who we are as human beings. I mean, that's what we need to rally. How do we rally that compassion in people? That's what we need to do. How do we rally that compassion? That's actually what saves humanity in the book. It's um, the kids realize that they cannot change the future, but they could save a life. Yeah. So how do, um, how do doctors, well, again, this is uh, something for doctors. Uh, doctors need to get their head out of the sand. The doctors I see and now have become capitalists to some degree. It's it's almost like a, a money game. Um, how much is your salary? How much time you get off? The world of medicine has basically become about leverage and how to better yourself. And if things don't work out, you can leverage either a better deal at the hospital or go to another hospital, you know? So doctors come and go. Um, so doctors have become um, inward and focused on themselves and uh, medicine has become a livelihood rather than an art, uh, the idea. And, and I think a lot of this is become, because doctors are separated by probably information technology, you know, doctors email each other instead of meeting. Um, and doctors have become so subspecialized that they just look at a person as a piece. You know, mm. I try not to look at a person as failing kidneys. I try to look at them as a human being who's suffering. But sometimes you send a, a a patient to a urologist and they look at the patient as a kidney stone lodged in the ureter and and they fix that and then they go about um, their other business trying to uh, do as much work as they can in a day um, and uh, it's interesting uh, I, I wrote I wrote a, a paper years ago called the Queen Bee syndrome and it was looking at physicians because we were we were being asked the psychiatry at least to prescribe medication after medication. And the therapy part was being sort of divvied out to other folks. And I called this thing the queen bee syndrome, where we as physicians were just going to be like a queen bee and the eggs were gonna be pulled out of us, the pills, and we would be the furthest person actually away from the patient, mm -hmm. the person that we yeah. needed to be most in touch with. So I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying, Sam, in terms of who we are as physicians. And um, I think we have been compartmentalized. I think that we have succumbed in many ways to the idea that, that we need to meet certain criteria in order to bill for a certain level of care and a patient. And what we miss is this remarkable opportunity and privilege, this remarkable privilege that we have to help someone in their time of need. And I think what you're sure, talking sure. about is we have a planet, we have an entire planet in its time of need, and we have an opportunity to do something. 
And we're not. Am I missing something here? No. Um, you know, that's interesting. There are a lot of forces on me to separate myself from my art. You know, I'm supposed to take a computer into a room and try to talk to a patient about life and death scenarios and at the same time work on a computer and, um, uh, and type your in note. the computer and talk between the patient and the computer. So I actually, I actually have a scribe. UPMC has got me a scribe. So, so that's helped me. Mm. I could look, I could look someone in the eye and tell them what's wrong. And, um, that's great. But it's, uh, that's, they look at that as more of a luxury than anything. They're, they're, they just, uh, I have that luxury because I'm so busy, but most doctors don't have that. So doctors are under extraordinary pressure to conform and to fit into a business. And uh, the art of medicine is lost, I think. Um, I think that perhaps if doctors um, uh, take a look at the big picture, look at the planet, perhaps we could uh, find our soul again and uh, think of... Uh, something bigger than themselves in their office and um in their uh small uh in their in the world that's getting smaller and smaller around them um i think this could be a renaissance in some way for medicine yeah. um like uh perhaps um uh i'm trying to think um you know the doctors in the uh early 80s, they put together something called the uh, International Physicians Against Nuclear uh, War. And they, they did win the Nobel Prize. Uh, but doctors stepped out of their, um, you know, their usual role, got together and formed a coalition which went right to the people and right to the politics. They won a Nobel Prize, and I think they influenced... Uh, um, policy such that nuclear treaties were um, forged in the late 80s thanks to their work. Is that happening now? I, I don't see that. You know, I just don't see that. You would think that would happen, but it's not there. And, and um, I, I just wonder what was back in the 80s that's, um, that's not here now. Uh, maybe it's because of... Um, the workload and the schedule and, and uh, the pressure on us, we've become uh, compartmentalized, more or less isolated from each other and uh, driven toward um, a business model, either for ourselves or for an institution and less committed to social uh, awareness and um, community um, and way, way, detached from, um, you know, uh, just major issues like climate change or, or gun proliferation or, or nuclear war. I think there was a time years ago that we were uh, involved, um, like I brought up the example of uh, nuclear proliferation, but doctors as a group, as a, um, as a foundation for civilization is not the same. It's kind of, uh, um, it's not, it, it's dysfunctional, I think. And uh, 
and, and and it's the wrong time it's really the wrong time this is the real time that physicians could serve as the uh connection between the science the climate scientists and the voting public i mean the voting public isn't going to is going to listen to the climate scientists, but not maybe not necessarily believe them. But if you put physicians in the mix, yeah, that's who they believe, right from their family doctor to the head of the hospital to the surgeon general. Physicians are still regarded uh, and trusted, uh, and uh, physicians can be the bridge between the scientists. That are that have uh, shown beyond a doubt that this is really happening, and the voting public, where are the physicians? They're nowhere. You know, That's maybe the uh, maybe the American Medical Association puts out a editorial here and there, but uh, I think um, you know, I don't know. I think doctors want to kind of stay out of the um, the limelight for some reason. But we can't do that anymore. Now is not the time. But do you think um, that, that physicians have been beaten down in some ways? Because we, we, we do. You know, I mean, I love what I do. I absolutely love it. I love being a physician. I love being a psychiatrist. I am honored every day, as I said, to work with people in their time of need. But there are a lot of other forces that basically say no. If I prescribe a certain medicine and somebody, some insurance company doesn't like it, I have to make a case for why this patient needs to be on this medicine, even though I've had years of training. So do you think maybe in a subtle way, we have lost some of our confidence that we can be that mediator, that we can be that voice? I think that is true, and I see that with myself uh, in that um, I um, my decisions are often uh, disregarded by uh, administrators or insurance companies. Um, but um, I win my battles. I win my battles with insurance companies. Mm -hmm. uh, I, people listen to me, people regard what I say. Um, I, and I do influence people still. Um, I think most doctors feel that way, that they're still up there, you know? Um, so doctors are beaten down, but at this point in time, in this point in history, we still are the top dog, I think. You know, we're just we're just separated from each other. We are bogged down with electronics and, and keeping rigid schedules. Um, I think doctors themselves, maybe from the stress of conformity, again have turned inwards and away from each other, and um, um, and oh, and are more inclined to be um, detached from big social issues uh, for the sake of themselves, uh, their, their uh, well-being and their family's well-being. Um, so let me ask you, but, 
Let me just ask you this during this yes. course, because we've got a few minutes left. Uh, the IM has two rules. Because the four domains, yeah, the IM approach. So we are, it's the, it's the psycho, it's the biopsychosocial model extended by integrating something called theory of mind. We'll, we'll talk more about this, but my audience knows about this. So we're influenced by four domains, your home, the social domain, the biological domain, and the IC, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because the domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. What small change can you suggest to our listeners or perhaps the physicians who are listening? What small change can they make so that we can move this idea that you have and this, this passion and mission that you have? What small change can people make? Everyone, uh, there are two points to this. Number one, everyone has a talent. Uh, doctors are intelligent people, they have talents. My talent is perhaps to imagine stories and uh, you know, uh, contemplate a better world. And I've used that talent to do what I can here. Uh, my talent may not be to lead large groups of people or to lobby government and so forth. So doctors need to use their intelligence and talent in this direction as I, as I have done. That's number one. Number two, the simple things that doctors can do is just get together and use their local influence to, um, uh, to um, change what's around them in terms of awareness and um, bringing people in and um, um, making them aware of uh, this climate uh, disaster that looms. Um, doctors need to get together. Geez, if I could have two or three doctors that are with me, boy, I would, I would do things. I would go to the, uh, you know, I would go to the hospital. I would arrange for meetings. I, I would probably try to get to Harrisburg and maybe make a statement to the uh, uh, Pennsylvania Society of, uh, uh, Pennsylvania Medical Society. I can't find one doc here to uh, think as I think, you know, yeah. or uh, to, so I'm detached from everyone. I'm kind of like a free radical out here. Or <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like a single cell organism here. Yeah, but, but you are writing, you're writing. And that leads to the second rule of the I am. Because everybody's interested in what other people think or feel about them. Uh, and because you're part of someone's home or social domain, and you have an effect on people because you know it feels differently when you're treated with respect or disrespect. This means you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dr. Sam Steer, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want to spend the rest of my years on this particular topic. I want to be remembered for it. And I want to, um, and that's how I find, that's how I'll find peace in life. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I want to, um, I want to continue as a physician, but I want to embrace this topic. Um, this, this is a big one. This is a big, big one. one. And, and I, and I do see our very future is going to be, um, medicine will turn in my direction. 
It's going to mm-hmm. take another 10 years. I want to be part of that turn. Fantastic. If I can. Sure. The Edge of Elsewhere, science fiction, climate fiction book. How do we get it? How do we get the Edge oh, of Elsewhere? Uh, um, well, if you're one of my patients, you just show up to the office. <laughs> get a signed copy. I, I, I'm giving it to all my uh, 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 dialysis patients, you know. It's kind of like, uh, oh, I want that book. I really want Dr. Stia's book. Oh, yeah. A lot of them read it, and they don't necessarily, um, uh, you know, a lot of them have uh, medical issues and not necessarily... And they don't necessarily have the focus to, to read it. So, so we can get it on Amazon? Uh, but you but you can get it on Amazon, yes. Okay. On the Edge of Elsewhere. It's on it's by it's Stan. It's on Audible. Where else? Is it on Audible yet? Oh, uh, no, we no. That's a, that's we got to get on Audible. It's on Kindle. It's on Kindle. Kindle hardcover right. and so. All right, guys, The Edge of Elsewhere by Sam Steele. Pick it up. It's going to be a great read. Sam, thanks so much for being with us here tonight. Oh, sure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Sam.